you know, this, this oneness of mind he talks about. You know, being a, literally means of one accord, or literally it means united souls, like one soul. So I'm your soul brother, or, or I'm your, or you're my soul sister, and, and we have this united soul that, that Christ has put us together, that he wants us to be united at a soul level. And when we have this unity, it makes Jesus' joy complete. How else can we make Jesus' joy complete? He goes on in verse 3 and 4, and he says, In humility, value others above yourself. Hello, and welcome to the Orange County Church of Christ audio sermon. Today is week 5 on the 7-week series based on a book, The Crown That Will Last, written by Michael Burns. Our lesson today will be led by Steve Stevenson's who serves in the Orange County ministry. We hope you enjoyed today's lesson. Let's get started. Good morning, OC Church. I'm super encouraged to be with you this morning, and I'm also excited that we get to continue our Crown That Will Last series. Last week, we talked about the identity of Christ, and this week, we are going to talk about the power of cultural humility. So go ahead and turn your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2, Let's go ahead and pray, and let's get into it. Father, I want to thank you, God, for this time to be together. It's so encouraging to be with the church, God. It's so encouraging to be able to open up your word, to be able to listen to what your Holy Spirit has to say to us. And I pray, God, that you would just allow this time to be a demonstration of your Spirit's power. Please take me out of the way and let your word say what you want people to hear. I love you. I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. And so, guys, uh, I, I wanted to give a little bit of background on the text here. Um, you know, Paul is writing to the church in Philippi, and Philippi is a Roman colony. And so, in a Roman colony, uh, there are Roman soldiers, of course, but specifically, Philippi is filled with retired Roman soldiers. And these soldiers were sent out, really, to the far-reaching areas of the Roman Empire, so that they could teach the ways of the Roman, what it means to be a Roman citizen. And so active Roman soldiers also served in Roman colonies, and they would basically, you know, walk around, and at really at any moment, they could just say to people, hey, what's your good confession? And the only proper response to that was, Caesar is Lord. That was the expectation, that you would say, Caesar is Lord. And you'll find that in the text here in Philippians 2, later in around verse 11, uh, Paul addresses that issue and he says, look, no, the only proper response, if that was to ever happen to you, is that Jesus is Lord. And so he encourages the disciples, hey, look, you know, when that happens, you know, you've got to realize and understand Jesus is Lord. And you know that's true, so don't be afraid to have the courage to say those words when you get put in that position. And so when the Christians were uh, put in that position, they were prepared. They knew what to do. They knew what was expected. They knew what Jesus wanted them to do. But, you know, we should also know about the Roman culture is that it was a shame honor society. And so they had seven different classes that they put everyone in, you know, from really the top to bottom. It was the patrician, the senator, the equestrians, the commons, the freed people and the slaves. And so people of Rome would literally work their entire lives striving to rise through the classes 
so that they could somehow feel like they were valued, that they would receive honor in that society. And of course, if you were on the lower end of society, if you were a slave, you got the opposite of honor. You were shown shame. And it was a, a very difficult environment to live in. But it was in this context that Paul writes the letter to the church in Philippi. And it was in this context that he calls them to live this life like Christ, which was a life of humility, which, you know, in that day and age, that was, humility was considered a weakness. It was considered shameful. And so he's writing this to them and he's trying to help them understand that although the culture of that particular day doesn't embrace the servant, it doesn't embrace those in the, of a lower class uh, for any reason, in Christ, we all can love each other. It doesn't matter what class you are in like it mattered back then. And as Christians, we have to live this counter-cultural lifestyle. So we pick it up in Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. And as Paul begins this text in Philippians 2, verse 1, he says, Therefore, so now whenever the Bible says, therefore, what we have a responsibility to do is to figure out what is it there for? And so if you back up to Philippians chapter 1, verse 27, you can see the context of what Paul is about to say in Philippians 2. And so he says in Philippians uh, 1, verse 27, he says, whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my presence, or in my absence, excuse me, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. And so he's trying to inspire them. Hey, we're going to strive together for the faith of the gospel. We're going to stand firm in one spirit. We're going to live this life worthy of the gospel. And so then we skip to uh, Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. And then he says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. I mean, wow, this is Paul, man, teaching on humility that was so countercultural to the core of this, of, of what was going on in Philippi as a Roman colony. He called them to kingdom living. You know, you got to live under the reign and rule of Christ, not Caesar. You know, Paul called them to follow Jesus' example of humility, to value others better than yourself. And then, you know, he calls them to live this life, really, that would require an immense cultural humility that, honestly, the world up to that point probably had never seen, especially in that particular city. And so cultural humility would be a powerful example to a lost and hurting world that needed love and, and acceptance. So how can we tap into this power of cultural humility? How can we today in the modern church, tap into this power of cultural humility. 
You know, the first thing that I see is, it, is Paul calling us to do is to seek to make Jesus' joy complete. Now think about that for a second. If you ever just sat, sat down and thought, what would it mean for me to really make Jesus' joy complete? It'd be a great time of meditation for you to do that at some point, but we're not going to take the time to do that now. But I will say that Paul gives us some very clear practicals. He says, first of all, that you have to have the same love. You know, you have to have the same love as Christ. You know, of course, we know Jesus laid down his life for you and I. We know that. We know he laid down his life for us. And so to have the same love, we've got to be willing to lay down our lives for others. And that can be challenging. That can be difficult when you feel like, I don't feel like doing that. And quite honestly, you know, me, I am... My sinful nature is very, very selfish, and, and, I, and I know that about me, and so I have to constantly, when I'm in situations with family or different people or, or situations that I just don't really want to be in, I have to quote scriptures to myself like, okay, 2 Corinthians 5, 14, Christ's love compels me, and then goes on to 15, and he died that those who live would no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and raised again. So I have to use these scriptures to motivate myself to go, okay, love, you need to go love. You need to push past because I'm just naturally a selfish person. I have to constantly battle literally every day of my Christian life, um, you know, but as disciples, we're called to lay down our lives, and, and, and because of that, I believe that when we do that, it makes Jesus' joy complete. What else that makes our joy com- makes Jesus' joy complete? He says the same oneness in spirit. You know, the pagans of that day had a saying, and the saying was this: that they were of one village and they drank of one fountain, and so they boasted in this great unity that they had. But how much more is disciples? who have all drinking of one spirit at baptism. You know, I love 2 Corinthians, or 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. It says, we're all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we are all given the one spirit to drink. You know, in Christ, in Christ, we all have the one spirit to drink. The day of your baptism, you received the Holy Spirit And we all have that unifying Holy Spirit. And we all have that opportunity to be able to live by the Spirit so that we can make Jesus' joy complete. You know, how about in, in, um, you know, this this oneness of mind he talks about? You know, being of, literally means of one accord. Or literally it means united souls, like one soul. So I'm your soul brother, or, or, I'm your, or you're my soul sister, and, and we have this united soul that, that Christ has put us together, that he wants us to be united at a soul level. And when we have this unity, it makes Jesus' joy complete. How else can we make Jesus' joy complete? He goes on in verse three and four, and he says, in humility, value others above yourself. You know, that's, uh, that's challenging because he says there in verse 3 specifically, do nothing from selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility value others above yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. 
You know, what keeps you from having the humility to value others above yourself? What keeps you from doing that? You know, what can keep us from experiencing the power of cultural humility? You know, if we can't value others above ourselves, we can't experience the, 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 the power of cultural humility. You know, what do we need to repent of if we're not experiencing this? Because Paul also gives some practicals. He says, first of all, you, you got to repent of selfish ambition. And we go, what is selfish ambition? I don't really know what that is. I, I'm not quite sure what does that really mean practically. You know, it, it's, it's a little bit difficult to define, but James 3.16 says that where you find, you know, disorder and every evil practice, there you find selfish ambition. And so if you're in your life and you're going, man, I feel disordered. I feel like I'm, I, I keep falling into these same sins over and over again. I feel like I'm in a, a rough spot. You know, you got to examine, am I being selfishly ambitious? Or he says vain conceit. You know, what is vain conceit? It's really empty glory for yourself. It's living a life that's really for your glory and not for God's glory. And it leaves you empty. And if you live this life, and I've done this and I've, pursued things and for my glory and, and and the more I pursued it the more I thought okay I, I got something here this is great but then I need to get the next thing and every time I would get that I would feel empty and, and that is the way we can sometimes go throughout life if I have this job or if I have this career if I live in this neighborhood or if I live you know in in this community then then I will be accepted and I will be considered you know, valuable in some way. And so the calling here is really a, a challenge for us to be able to ask ourselves, do I struggle with vain conceit? Because may, vain conceit makes you go, you know, I can live however I want and I don't have to give an account to anybody as though somehow you don't live under the reign and rule of Christ. And so we got to really make sure that we're not living that way, especially as disciples in God's kingdom. And then he mentions self-interest. And, and, and we all know that when you when you're completely self-focused, you know, you don't experience what you need to experience as a Christian. You don't get to experience cultural humility if all you can think about is what you want. And and you know when I again when I studied the Bible to become a Christian, the, the person who studied the Bible with me said you're probably the most self selfish person I've ever studied the Bible with. And it was true because I had all these self-interests, but my interests did not include other people. And so God has continually put that on my heart to, to remind me, hey, you, this is who you are outside of Christ. Um, but that's not who you, that's not who I want you to be. And so he, he, he puts out this, this uh, high level of, of, passion and, and desire for each one of us to consider others better than ourselves, to not have a focus of self-interest, but an interest of others. And so to have cultural humility, you have to consider others better than yourself. And when you think about Jesus, I mean, my goodness, he leaves the culture of heaven to come to the culture of earth. You talk about culture shock. There is no greater culture shock than that. But that was what Jesus was willing to do. He was leaving, willing to leave his culture 
to come and serve in the culture of mankind and be able to lay his life down for us. Did Jesus have ambition? Yeah, I mean, I'm sure he did. I'm sure he did, but he used his ambition to save you and I. You know, did Jesus have the potential for vain conceit? Yeah, he he could have lived for his own glory. He had that opportunity, but instead he chose to live for the glory of God. Did Jesus have self-interest? I'm sure he felt very tempted to do that, but as he hung on the cross, as as he was there hanging, Matthew 26, verse 36, he said, look, not my will be done or excuse me, not as he hung on the cross, but as he was in the garden, excuse me, and as he's crying out to God and he's begging God, God, take this cross or take this cross from me. Take this cup from me. I don't want to go through this. You know, he was, he was willing. He was willing to not live out his will, but he chose to do God's will. So for the joy set before him, he endured the cross scorning its shame. And so Jesus wants to make, he wants us to make his joy complete by being humble like him and being like-minded. Point number two, we got to seek the same mindset as Christ. In verse five, it says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that the name of Jesus Christ that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And why? For the glory of the Father. This, again, was a higher calling. This was a challenge to seek the mindset of Christ for those disciples in Philippi, but we also have to seek the mindset of Christ today. And so as Paul goes after the culture of that day and he instructs the disciples to be countercultural, we too have to be countercultural through humility, like Christ humbled himself, through taking on the very nature of a servant like Christ. And this would require great cultural humility to do so. At this point, I'm going to have my wife share about some things that are on her heart as well. So uh, good morning, church. It's really great to uh, get a chance to share uh, this morning. And I'm really grateful to share about this and even talk about this as an entire church and to study out cultural humility together, uh, you know, through the Crown That Will Last book. And as I've thought through the book and tried to think about how to love people and love um, our world and love other nations, the first thing I thought of as we study through this book is I have had to learn cultural humility in my own home. That's where my uh, big turning point of cultural humility started. And, you know, as you guys notice, my husband, Steve, 
uh, is white and I'm black. And uh, that wasn't even the biggest cultural divide as we united uh, in our marriage. It was also the fact that we were from two different regions. I am a black Southern girl. You know, I'm from the Southern parts of our state. He's from the Midwest. You know, a big difference also was that we were raised very differently with different values and uh, different thoughts on how to do things. And so when we first got together and before we got married, I had been single and a part of the church for about eight years. And I had no, and I had roommates. I lived in households with sisters and it seemed to go uh, just fine. And so I didn't really learn that much about cultural humility. In fact, I thought that I had a pretty good heart because I had all type of friends uh, in high school and college. And I just never thought that that was something that I struggled with until I got married. And it was not too long after I got married that I realized how much I struggled with. And we... Um, ended up having a lot of battles. You know, I found myself feeling, looking down upon how he was raised. I also felt like he looked down upon me and how I was raised. Uh, I found myself being super critical of different things that uh, he did and different things even that his family did or, or how they operated. And he was critical of me and my family and the way we did things and the way we operated. And another big cultural, I don't even know if this is considered cultural, but another big thing that was really hard for me is, you know, being a woman and really submitting myself and uh, having this partnership with a man in my life because I wasn't raised with a man leading me or leading my household. And so that was, I mean, that was probably a bigger shift than anything is uh, surrendering my control or, or sharing my control, if you will, uh, with this new man in my life and in my household. So the biggest thing and the biggest turning point for me was humility. I just realized I had so much pride about who I was, who I was on route to be, um, how I was raised, my vantage point and my viewpoint. And I had to really go on a deep dive and still a deep dive to this day with humility. And Philippians 2, the, the scripture Steve's been reading about is absolutely by far my favorite scripture about humility. I remember putting it to memory like within my first year of, of it. One, it was pointed out to me within my first year of being a Christian and me putting it to memory within the first year. So that that shows that, you know, I, I really needed it. Um, but I just love the beautiful um, passage and how it talks about Christ, uh, his humility and it talks about him who being in the very nature of God and being like him and being in his very nature, having the very characteristics, uh, the very opportunity, the, he was in sync with God. And although he had that, he took on being a servant and that 
that scripture really cut me because it talks about if you have any encouragement, if you really love, uh, you know, if you felt fulfilled, if God has given you anything good, then be like-minded, uh, make his joy complete. And so, of course, I felt like God had given me so much. He gave me a new life. He gave me the opportunity to start all over. So, of course, uh, I want to be like-minded in him, uh, like-minded like him. And one of the things that I learned about that word servant, the Greek word for that word servant is doulos. And uh, what it meant this is Jesus becoming this. And of course, Jesus knew that and knew him taking on the being a servant is this, is that doulos, what that means is that that type of servant is that you are born into being a servant. And there's three main characteristics of it. And one of the characteristics is that you are a servant for life. Once you're born, in, as born into this servitude or being a servant, you're, you're a servant for life. Uh, the second characteristic of it is that um, your will is in total submission to the master. Your will is in total submission to the master. And the third characteristic is that uh, your interests are totally integrated with the master's interest and his point of view and his perspective. And it's, it's what only what the, ma the master feels like matters is what matters to you. And so studying that out and doing a deep dive on that uh, really convicted me because that's exactly how Jesus was. And that is what he is calling me to be. First of all, starting in my own home, in my own household, and then to those outside of my household is that when I got baptized, I was born into being this servant. And I definitely want to be the servant for life. And I definitely want to surrender my will completely to my master's will. And I definitely want uh, my interest to be what his interests are. And that's one of the things that through this uh, pandemic and through, um, you know, COVID, that I've realized is that Jesus's interest, you know, God's interest is for us to gather the nations. It is to love and to reach out and to, to, to help people to know Jesus. And that's, uh, you know, that's one of his interests. And so that's what I've been striving for just to share. That's what I've been striving for is just to figure out how to love others around me and how to love my neighbors and to, be interested in them somehow through this time um, to love them, to reach out to them, and to care for them. And so as I stay on this journey uh, to have humility and the humility that Christ has, I just encourage you to join with me and as we partner as brothers and sisters, as soul brothers and soul sisters together to strive to have the same humility that Christ had um, in his time and as he calls us to have now. Love you guys. Thank you, babe. It's very encouraging. You know, uh, you know, my wife shared about different challenges that we've had, and, and, you know, it's not like those challenges have completely gone. You know, they were difficult for the first couple of years, but it's not like 
we have the perfect marriage and, and we strive to, to serve Christ and to please Christ in any way we possibly can. But we know that we've got to be disciples that are striving to be the servants that he wants us to be. And so I'm grateful uh, for my wife. I'm grateful for her patience with me uh, for uh, coming up on 25 years this next year uh, of being together. It's been amazing. So I just wanted to close it out here with uh, the third point, which is seek to shine like a star. How do we know if we have the power of cultural humility? We seek to shine like a star. In verse 12 through 18, it says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence now, but much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And that's something we all have to do, right? But this is the good news. It says, For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose, that he has a good purpose for our life. And he says, do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and I rejoice with all of you so that you too should be glad and rejoice with me. You know, Paul sets up this great example for us. He said, hey, if you are going to have cultural humility, you're going to shine like a star in a warped and crooked generation. And I love that God is working in all of us to will and to act according to his good purpose. But the truth is, is none of us are perfect. And so we have to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. We got to keep being honest, keep being real, keep being, you know, having integrity about who we are so that we can be this person that shines like a star. And he gives us a couple challenges. Stop grumbling. Stop arguing. You know, that happens. You got to take that advice in the home first. But maybe even as you're getting ready to post something on the Internet, stop grumbling. Stop arguing. We got to think about these things because this is the expectation that as disciples, we shine like a star in a crooked world. We've got to be above and beyond. We've got to be countercultural. We've got to live under the reign and rule of Christ. This is the expectation of a disciple. This is the life that Jesus has called us to. And so we also are called to hold firmly to the word of God. And I'm grateful. I'm grateful that we have this book, A Crown That Will Last, because it's rooting us deeply in the Word of God. It's helping us to understand how we're supposed to be living in this world under the reign and rule of Christ as citizens of the kingdom of God who seek to do His will here on earth as though we were in heaven. And so I really want to encourage you uh, that we've got to keep studying our, our, our daily quiet times. We've got to keep serving Christ. And, and as we seek to make Christ's joy complete, we've got to understand that he also wants us to have the same mindset as him and that he wants us to shine like stars in this world. With this heart in mind, we can experience together the power of cultural humility. And at this time, let's go ahead and pray as we take communion together and remember the incredible humility that Jesus you know, had when he came and died for us on this earth. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you 
God, it's amazing to think about your cultural humility. It's amazing to think about you leaving heaven to come to earth. It blows me away to think that you are calling me to that same love, to that same heart, to that same mindset. God, I want to be like you and I want to remember you when I feel selfish, when I feel irritated, when I feel like I wanna argue, when I feel like I wanna grumble. God, help me to remember you, to remember that you did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but you made yourself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant. Give me that heart, God. Give us that heart. Help us to be a church that shines like a star. I love you. I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed today's lesson. We look forward to being with you next week. You can find more information about our church on our website, occhurchofchrist.com. You can also watch live services on our Facebook and YouTube pages, which are also located on our website. Thank you for listening, and may God bless you.